Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. I'm Matthew Thiel, a certified financial planner with RPA Wealth Management. Joining me as always is certified financial planner, Joshua Winterswijk. Josh, how are you doing today? Doing good. Ready for this podcast, Matthew. Yeah. Are you uh, are you full from Thanksgiving still? Yeah, it's a Thanksgiving hangover that I have. Too much turkey. <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh, a little too much tryptophan will kind of get you down, huh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And too much uh, pumpkin pie. Do, yeah. you, do you eat a lot of pie? No, I'm not a big pie guy. Mm. I, I stick with the meats and the vegetables. Got it. And then maybe wash it down with a couple glasses of red wine. You know, add just a little bit of sweetness to that wine and you might enjoy it. No, not at all. I'm not a sweets guy. <laughs> um, all right. So for today's show... We have our very first mailbag edition. So we've been gathering um, listener emails over the kind of the course since we started the show about six months ago. And we finally got enough good ones where we're ready to uh, do a mailbag show. And I'm excited about it. What about you? Yeah, I am too. And I think that, you know, putting together the questions, we had a lot that were similar as well. And so excited for the ones that we're going to be answering today and looking forward to incorporating this type of podcast in the future too. I think it's going to be very beneficial for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And for those who do have a question, feel free to email the questions in to info at rpawealth.com. And we received the questions and we, we've been keeping track of them and keeping a log. Yeah, keep them coming. I'm excited whenever we get new questions uh, for the podcast. So. Yeah, me too. And thank you for those who sent them in already. Yes, thank you. All right, you ready to get started with question one? I, th- I think so. Yeah, let's, let's jump right into it. So we have uh, Robert from Rancho Cucamonga asks, if there's any way to avoid taking a required minimum distribution or also called RMD. Yeah, there's one major way I know about. Um, the easy answer to this is usually no, there's not. The government wants to to tax your money, which is why the RMD was created. But if you do feel like working a long time, and I mean past 70 and a half and you know, well into your, your mid 70s or even early 80s like some people do, what you can do is roll or essentially keep all your money in your employer-sponsored retirement plan. So that would be your 401k or 403b. And then you don't have to take a required minimum distribution. If you have outside IRAs though, the catch is you have to roll that in to your employer sponsored plan or you will be forced to take that RMD. Um, Anything to add, Josh? No, yeah, I think that's good. I think generally if you're speaking just to the retirement client out there, if you're already retired, you're not working, the answer to avoiding the RMD is no, right? Yeah, you can't avoid it. Um, but I think there are different strategies um, to delay, accelerate. And if you're married, there are also some other different strategies out there too um, that are very specific. But I think the general answer is no. Um, and you know, going from there to researching if any of those specific strategies apply to you to delaying it or reducing it. Do you want to go into any of those strategies today or save them for another show? I think one that we, we kind of mentioned in the past too is like the charitable RMD yeah, as Q- well. Uh, QCD. Yeah. So you can donate some of your RMD to charity and um, that will uh, reduce the tax liability on that RMD. And so I think that's just a one that we've, we commonly use. And when we bring it up to clients they are interested in, so if you are charitable or you're, you're giving in that year, uh, looking at an, you know, 
that strategy to help you reduce taxes um, and reducing that RMD amount that's going on your tax return is, is a good one. So I think that's just one that I think could help a, a lot of clients and looking into that would benefit them. Yeah, absolutely. Any other strategies? Um, that, that we can go down a rabbit hole with this specifically, but I think for Robert and Ranch Cucamonga, um, you got enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. What do you think? Well, I have one more point on what I mentioned and if Robert owns his own business, meaning 5% or more of the company's stock, um, or he has a spouse who owns a business and he, he's an employee in there. He actually has to take his RMD. There's no way around this if you are a business owner. And so that would be 5% or more of the outstanding stock of the said small business. All right, let's move on. Sounds good. All right, moving on to question two. Uh, Scott from Phoenix, Arizona emailed us, and he would like to know what the difference is between a fee-based advisor and a fee-only advisor. This is a fun one. Yeah, it is. And I think just starting with what those terminologies mean, and they're basically the two um, main financial advisor fee structures. So fee-only and fee-based um, are, are two of the main main fee structures that they have. And it's important because as the consumer, you want to know what you're paying, how you're paying the fee for the service when you're hiring a financial advisor. I think that's just really important. So what is the difference? And fee-only financial planners or fee-only, that term, gets paid directly from the client. So the only fee exchange is coming from the client to the advisor. And fee-based planners um, also can charge a fee, just like we just mentioned, but they also can sell or earn commissions on the products that they sell. And that's the biggest difference is that commission. So we know fees, the common denominator between both of them, but commissions um, is going to be the difference between fee only and then fee-based can actually receive commissions from the client. Yeah, it's very confusing. And I I know we've been on both sides of the table because we were once both fee-based advisors. Mm -hmm. um, And now that we're both fee-only advisors, I definitely prefer being a fee-only advisor. It's just a really nice feeling when you're sitting and talking with your clients and you're making recommendations to them and you're not getting compensated for it. Yeah, and it's really tying you to that fiduciary oath that we took, right? There's no conflict of interest because different products come with different commissions. Yeah, absolutely. um, I think it's just really important and especially for, you know, our listener and their question is, is do research and ask that advisor or, you know, find out how they're being compensated because I think it really is important to understanding how the advisor's getting paid and making sure that you're getting the best advice. Yeah, absolutely. And I know it's really difficult for consumers to kind of tell the difference, but the main way I would do it if I was a consumer is usually what happens is these people who are making commissions and they're also getting investment fees, so they're calling themselves fee-based, or they might even call themselves fee-only, they have two corporations set up. The first corporation is gonna be the investment advisory firm, and that's where they're going to be doing your portfolio for the one or two percent of assets under management. The second corporation is going to be the uh, some kind of insurance corporation where they're selling you either annuities or life insurance, and they're making commission on that side. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what you're trying to avoid by researching it is just to eliminate 
as many conflicts of interest as you can, right? You don't want to have too many potential conflict of interest with your investment advice because you want the best fiduciary advice. You want what's best for you. And I think that this is just a, a really good way to compare um, when you're you know shopping for an advisor or try- looking to hire one. Um, and it's just a really important step and process to hiring. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. And I was actually sitting with a prospective client the other day and he was interested in hiring a fee-only advisor and he had a really great 20, 30 question advisor interview booklet that he asked me to fill out. And I, I mean, I gladly filled it out because we have no conflicts. Yeah. Where did he get that from? He got that from NAPFA. That's N-A-P-F-A. So if you go there, you, you could probably search for it and download it. And when you're looking to hire an advisor, take it and have them answer the questions. Yeah. I think that's also just a really good tool. And it, does that checklist have a, a fee question on there? Yeah, it has lots of fees. It asks what percent of essentially your revenue comes from commissions. And then obviously for ours, we put zero. Um, It asks you if you have any conflicts of interest. And I mean, obviously you could lie. Yeah. But still, it's a good feeling for us. I was happy to fill it out. Yeah. Yeah. And being transparent says a lot. Absolutely. Um, Anything left? No, I think think we got that one pretty good. Uh, Moving on to the next question. Number three, so Anne from Henderson, Nevada, wants to know or is afraid that the stock market will crash if a Democrat gets elected, especially Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> what, what should she do? Yeah, a lot of people are worried about Elizabeth Warren's um, tax policies. That said, we've seen a lot of research. Um, we, we work with dimensional fund advisors on the mutual fund side. Um, we use them in a lot of our portfolios and they've done a ton of research on presidential elections. And what the research shows is it doesn't matter who the president is. The stock market usually goes up. It doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican. Chances are it goes up. You remember Trump, right? The Trump mm-hmm. election, everyone's yep really freaked out about him. The Democrats were freaked out just like the Republicans are freaked out now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they thought the stock market was going to crash. It didn't crash. It's still going up. It's going up today. Yeah. And it's just so difficult to identify like return patterns in election years because the data shows that they go up. Right. (laughs) The average rate of return, even during elections, you're still above 10%. Wow. That's really great. And it's about 10% the year after the election. And it didn't matter who was president. That's going back till 1928. So it's just really hard to identify some sort of real pattern to who's that's correlated to who's in office. You know, it's funny. And I, I can, I really make people mad when I talk about this, especially if um, they're Republican, but did you know the last two recessions have actually fallen under Republican presidents? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another cool fact of just talking about... Actually, it's the last three or four. What's cool fact that we were looking up like recession research is recessions on average only last about 11 months while expansions last over 60 months. Right. So, so much more time that you're, you know, baking in in the good times than in the bad. Yeah. The bad times always seem really bad because they hurt the most, but yeah, the good times last for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this also goes back to, you know, we both have this philosophy of making sure you have a plan, right? Oh, absolutely. For any sort of um, recession or election, have a plan, continue to update it, stay educated, and, you know, taking actions now to prepare for the future. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a great point. And I do think as we get closer to elections, the election time next year, we'll do a, a election based podcast where we kind of go through maybe what happens with the stock market a little bit more in depth. Yeah, I think that that uh, would be good. I'm curious to see if in, uh, listeners are interested in that too, because I think it'd be a really good topic before this big election year next year. Yeah, but so. I, I wouldn't worry too much about Elizabeth Warren. I mean, I'm not a fan of her policies either, but um, she's dropping very fast in the polls. Yeah. So yep. it seems like she's went up about as fast as Camelia Harris and she's <laughs> dropping about as fast as her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's really dropped too. She's like middle of the pack now. <laughs> Anything else? No, no, I think that was good. Good question. All right, let's move on to our final question of today's show, question number four. And this one was sent in by Jackie from Redlands. And she has a large savings account balance. Um, she says it's over $300,000. And she wants to know what she can do with the money to get more interest. Um, I mean, I, I know that's kind of specific advice directed to her, but I mean, maybe we could give her some tips and some things to maybe look at or research? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we get this question a lot about cash, both on how much how much cash should we have? Um, do we have too much cash? Do we have too little cash? But in her situation with having a large amount in savings, first, making sure that before you take any steps for looking for higher interest, it is developing the proper amount of emergency savings that you should have. So if that's three months of living expenses or six months and using a safe vehicle for that money, because that is your emergency savings money and putting that in some sort of higher yielding savings account right now, their online savings accounts. Um, I think we've, we've talked about them on previous episodes as well, but utilizing online savings accounts that are going to yield a lot higher than your typical traditional brick and mortar bank. Um, and right now, currently, they're around 2%, a little less than 2%. Yeah, a little um, less than 2%. I think, you know, if you shop it, you can get close to 2% now. Um, but it's going to be a lot more than the, the traditional bank. And making sure that emergency savings is safe and then yielding a little bit more. So getting some more interest than your traditional bank as well. And then any additional funds, um, once you, you've taken that step, really tying a goal to the money is really important because yeah, then that'll d develop your time horizon of when you potentially going to need the money and, and then really developing an investment strategy to get some more interest once you've determined those things. I think it's important. Um, let's go back to the first thing you said about the three to six months expenses. Mm -hmm. um, what I've found, and maybe you could agree or disagree with me, is most people don't know what they're spending per month. Yeah, we've, yes. So for those of you listening in your car or at home while you're cooking, a good way to do this is take your net check and say you have 10,000 a month coming in. Most likely you're spending 10,000 a month if you have 10,000 a month coming in. Very few times is it actually going into savings. And then just multiply that by six and you'll get what you need in your emergency fund. So if you have 10,000 a month, it's $60,000 you should have saved in a easily accessible account. Yeah, and that's a good rule too. I mean, just taking your your monthly, you know, net income check and saying that's how I'm going to calculate my emergency savings because I need to replace 3 months of income if anything happens in the yeah. case of an emergency. But that that's a really good point of finding out, you know, how much how much you're actually spending before you do that. Yeah. And then the other thing that people could do 
in regards to kind of tying the goal a goal to the money is if you don't need it you probably should consider actually investing it mm-hmm. savings accounts are great and, and it's really nice to have cash but if you're not an entrepreneur or you don't need to buy a house really the best bet is going to be you know investing your money in the united states stock market just like you were mentioning josh on the election question right i mean pretty much the stock market earns nine to ten percent on average per year yeah that's a good point absolutely yeah that's much better than the you know one and a half to two percent you can get at an online savings account right now yeah yeah absolutely and if you're not willing to take that type of risk i mean still some sort of percentage towards stocks we always you know we talk about the stock to bond allocation well getting it invested and picking an allocation that's going to potentially yield you more than that two percent savings account yeah absolutely and i think this year um you keep it or almost every year bonds make sense mm-hmm. i think most bond funds are probably up at least eight to ten percent yeah. this year yeah they've been good in in comparing them too i mean there's enough research out there now to compare different you know portfolio strategies and i think traditionally it was i'm going to put my money into a cd oh yeah CDs. you know that 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 was traditionally where it's at but with interest rates so low i mean cds are barely yielding any more than a you know an online savings account you're looking at still a, a little low than below two percent or at two percent so why tie your money up into a cd let's try to get some more return if you do have a developed an appropriate emergency savings fund you're not going to worry about that you know that short-term volatility because you know you have enough saved yeah absolutely i feel like i don't see a ton of cds anymore i think i was kind of more the a lot of the silent generation did it but the the boomers don't seem as big on cds yeah yeah and i I think a lot of that some of it has flooded into the annuity market too yeah yeah they like the safe money so that that's a, I mean, that is another option, but you want to do your research. Yeah. And, and I would say one thing too, where we'll tie in question number two about the fee base versus fee only. This is where you could get sold an annuity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so be careful out there. Um, the downside of putting your savings in an annuity is the way it's taxed mm-hmm. and you're essentially locking your money up. Um, but when, when you put your money in an annuity and it's from a savings account, you will pay ordinary income taxes. So that's like your working income tax rate on your annuity when you use the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just another variable to consider when, when making these decisions with, with cash and investing. But I think it's, you know, you have to do a lot of due diligence to making sure you make the right decision. It's tailored. Absolutely. Um, anything left? No, I, I think the questions were great and can't wait to continue to do this podcast in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. We'll uh, we'll probably do another mailbag, maybe another six months or so. Yeah, I think we should gauge how many questions we get, right? Yeah, and then um, th- that's pretty much it for today's show. Like we said, uh, RPA Recommends is being held off until we do the uh, the famous Christmas list. Yeah, we're um, doing our, our annual gift guide. Yeah, I'll have to work with Brittany to get that out, but it'll probably come out in the next week or so. Perfect. So, so be on the lookout for that. That means I have to work on my list. Yeah, you do. Hopefully we get some better ideas this year instead of like AirPods or, um, you know, Apple TVs. 
Is that what it was on the list last year? I don't remember, but we need, we're going to need some creative ideas this year. The people demand creativity. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to have to do my research uh, over the weekend. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, that's all, all we have for today's show. Thank you for listening. Um, if you have a question, please email us at info at rpawealth.com. And we'll consider your question for our next mailback episode. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward to uh, speaking with you someday. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcast. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.